Welcome back to the Ack Attack Podcast. As always, I'm your host, a raccoon trapped in an empty dumpster, Jay. Jordan, as always, is my co-host, the overworked employee tasked with its removal, Z. How are we doing today, Z? Pretty good, Jack. It's good. Yeah, I'm it's always good. worried we're going to find a, a raccoon in the dumpster at work. Not really? I mean, it's a possibility, right? I mean, not all things are possibilities in God's is country. <laughs> so jot that down. Under the light of God. Yeah, what, you know. As you as you so aptly pointed out, raccoons get in dumpsters a lot. I've seen videos. I'm sure you've seen the same one. The big fat raccoons that can't get out. I've seen one where there's like thirty, like no joke, like thirty raccoons. It feels like in a dumpster. I saw one where they had to put like a plank down so they could get out to get the because they yeah. they were too fat. They were all so fat. They're a bunch of fat stupid <laughs> they, raccoons. They, they gorge themselves. On the no, trash. I think they were just a bunch of fat raccoons in an empty trash can because they all fell in because they're dumb and fat. I do like the video of the raccoon who goes to clean his um cotton candy in the water because the raccoons do. And, he, and he's and he's heartbroken because <laughs> he does look very. The sad. poor dirty animal can't fathom what he's done. No, he can't. I saw a tweet today that raccoons only live like three years in the wild. Really? And I was making people sad. And I was like, do we do uh, uh, people, people? They evolve that way. Do people uh, devote a lot of like mental energy to raccoon lifespans? Yeah, I don't. I guess it's just not something I ever think about one way or the other. No, I really don't. And I'm an animal guy. I don't think about raccoons. I mean, good for raccoons, I guess, but. I mean, I haven't said it on record, but we've talked about off-pot. The only reason I'm studying zoology is so I can hunt every animal. Yeah, you can. You can so I can learn their weakness in combat within a Denny's, as I can defeat every Pokemon. But that's a topic for another <coughs> day. All right, Jack. So anyway, besides our insane raccoon ramblings, we watched Hawkeye, first two episodes, and it was pretty great. I, I thought it was really good. Oh, yeah. Probably the best start to the Marvel shows yet. Uh, yeah. Of the other... Yeah. Of the... This is the fifth one so far. I say definitely start. I mean, yeah, I was feel very, very happy with this, but I, I, I do think it's you know probably makes sense to reserve full judgment. Yeah, until Christmas, till we're a little later. Mm. But uh, yeah, I definitely did enjoy it, and I, yeah, I think it's totally fair to say it's the best start. Like WandaVision, even though I think that's that's probably the strongest one of them all so far. The opener notoriously is very weird. Yeah, I agree. I don't hate it as much as some people. Some people really like couldn't even fathom it or whatever. Like I don't know. Not, not to be that guy, but uh, I feel like I knew what was going on the whole time. But I can understand why you might not enjoy that at the same time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is just, this is fun. And we knew that going in. We talked about this. Like, we thought it was just going to be a more lighthearted kind of. Grounded kind of ordeal. This wasn't going to, yeah. like, it's not going to be like, well, now Hawkeye's going to be in Doctor Strange 2 because of the events of his Hawkeye show. Right. I mean, he probably will be based on everybody in that movie, but. It's like, I, there's this meme going around about how um, WandaVision deals with, like. Grief uh, and grief loss. And, and loss and. Hawkeye, or not, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier deals with like oppression and like racism. And, I think deals with is a strong word. I think well looks at, observes from a distance. It happens. <laughs> it certainly does happen. And then Loki is like belonging and fate and like destiny yeah. and all that. Yeah. And Hawkeye is it's Christmas. It's Christmas. <laughs> or something. There's a dog with one eye. Yeah. Pizza dog. Tracksuit mafia. Let's, let's get into that right off the bat. So I would say. This or something recurring trend. There's something else where this it's touched on uh, the comic stuff a little more than we've. Oh, it's maybe it's Eternals. It was Eternals. Yeah, we we knew it was going to be inspiration, but there's a, it's a lot. Oh, it yeah. really is a, like a soft sort of adaptation of that run. Definitely changes a lot. You know, like circumstances and you know the setup and everything. But uh, there's a, there's a lot of carryover, and I, I like that because as we've talked about, I really like that comic. It's a good comic. Good so stuff. like. The tracksuit mafia being the primary villains, at least of these first couple episodes. You know, Hawkeye and Kate and their, their whole thing. It's very grounded. So that's something I really liked. Even though there's obviously a lot of changes just because of... If you look at where Hawkeye and 
as in like Clint and and uh, Kate Bishop are at the start of this show in the MCU compared to where Clint and Kate were at the beginning of that comic run. It's very um, different. It's it's night and day, right? Um, what was their first meeting in the comic? Yeah, I mean, exactly. not in the comic, the show. Yeah, not in the comic. As we talked about, they have an established relationship prior to that comic. And obviously, probably the most glaring difference is that, like, really, that the when you get right down to it, Hawkeye, we talked about this last week when we talked about that comic, Hawkeye in the MCU and Hawkeye in the comic are, like, actually wildly different. In well, Very much so. Really, when you get, when you really get right down to it in a lot of ways, like, they're barely the same guy. Mm, all but name. Honestly, they're different. Right? Hawkeye, most notably, MCU Hawkeye has a family who he cares about and isn't a human dumpster fire of a person. Yeah. And, like, I've seen people talk about this, that a lot of people really like that comic in, in a big part, well, as as I do, as any reasonable man would, Jack, right? Mm. It's a great comic that you love as well. Of course. Okay. Mm. It's funny, Jack, because off pod, you, you really you really give me guff for liking that comic that's I, very good and we all enjoy. Now, to be fair, I give you guff on pod. Yeah, you've, you've given me on this very pod. Last episode. But so you derailed me. I've derailed I didn't. Der- yeah, I didn't derail you at all. You were the one who got all uppity with me. It's a good book, and a lot of people like that. And so they—that's to them, to a lot of people, because it really is. I mean, it, it's it's something. It's somewhat of like a hyperbole, maybe, but I really don't think it is to say that that really is a modern classic at this point. You know, it's a couple years old, out now, and it's very popular, and people really like it. And uh, to a lot of people, that's probably the definitive version of Hawkeye. I would say to me, that's probably was the definition definitive version of hawkeye right i don't think i've read really much hawkeye solo stuff before or since so i understand like to some people that is the definitive hawkeye and this is very much not that because he is a family man who's got a wife and three kids and has his life reasonably well put together he hangs out with his kids and takes them on vacation and stuff and he wants to get back to them like he's not shirking any responsibility he's like i don't like being a dad Mm mm-hmm and he's not just like, yeah, just a pretty much a real fuck up. <laughs> Honestly, he's messing up a lot at every turn. His interpersonal relations are all shot. He's not that guy. No. But I will say, I think this show does a good job of carrying over that vibe kind of regardless, right? It yeah. is very grounded, even more so than like Hawkeye usually is. Because you can say that about Hawkeye, right? Like, oh, he's, he's the grounded Avenger, right? But he also exists in the Avengers movies where nothing else happening is grounded. So it doesn't really matter <laughs> that he's right, like, yeah, well, he's yeah. just got the bow and arrow. Whereas this show, I think it really is grounded. And like the, we talked about, it, so like in the second ex- episode there, for example, right? The fact that Hawkeye like just just does the LARPing thing, like he really does just say, "Fine, I'll just do this," and he just interacts with it. And I was saying, like, he just he's like, I, you know what? I just got to interact with these actual people the way that a normal human would. I'm just gonna like talk to people and yeah, like, just follow the rules, and yeah. I'll just be like, I can just blow right through this because I'm tony stark or i'm thor and i'm my god and yeah i'm captain america and they're gonna do what i want exactly not because i'm telling them to but they like respect me so much i'm just a fucking guy he's not a billionaire or a literal god or like an american hero he's kind of a hero but he's not he's no captain america right he's yeah. he's just a dude uh, at the end of the day <laughs> just a regular old guy and so yeah it's i think that vibe is carried because that's very much what that comic is about in a lot of ways it's kind of that comic is sort of what Hawkeye is doing between actually being an Avenger. It's like what Hawkeye does on his time off. Yeah. You know? Essentially, this is, you know, Hawkeye's days off. And so this has that vibe, I would say, right? Mm-hmm. It's very small in scope, at, at least at the moment. And uh, it's got that intimate, like, hey, I'm just hanging out with the people in New York. I'm just doing it. There's like the difference of, you know, in that comic, that's where ha- New York is where he lives, right? Like, that's a big part of it is like, this. that's his home. And he identifies with it. That obviously doesn't apply to MCU Hawkeye, but still, he's got that vibe. And he even meets uh, he meets Grills there. He does. Very different than the comics, though. Yeah, 
Gross Once is again, like kind of just name only. like a police officer who likes to LARP. Yeah. And steals a suit. Oh, no, he's a firefighter who steals um a suit from a fire? I believe, yeah. That's the implication. Where did he steal that, though? Like it yeah, he probably should be taking stuff against from the, the scene like that. No, it feels like very much against the law, but, you know, mm-hmm. not too big a deal. Yeah. I was going to say something else. What was I going to say? About... I, you were saying a bunch of stuff, and I used it all, and then I thought of something else to say, and I completely blanked. Probably just him, just being like a regular person. Uh, like, oh yeah, like especially when um when they're in their Chinese restaurant, and the guy's like, oh no, like it's on us. He's like, oh, you don't have to do that. He's like, nah, you saved us. Good on you. Thanks for saving the city. He's like, oh, that's weird, because he's not like gloating, and he's not like, you know, like you said, he's just like a regular guy, so he kind of just reacts like a regular person would. Like you know, yeah, don't want to like. Get any people don't really want a special preferential treatment. You know, they're trying to be humble about it or pretending to deserve it all the time. You know, it's a regular old fucking guy. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of nice. And uh, it's good. You got the pizza dog. It's good. Good old pizza dog. They didn't come lucky yet. Yeah, though. they haven't named him yet. But that's I think that's fine. I mean, that should that could be like a moment. So they go, you're awfully lucky. Yeah, something like that. Hey, um, hey. as we talked about in the com- last week in the comic, the dog's name is initially Arrow. <laughs> And then they change it to Lucky because he survives like being hit by a car and shot. That's lucky, and shot. shot. Yeah, yeah, and that's Lucky, and also because Arrow's a bit on the nose. On the nose, I guess. No, I did see people hoping that uh, we get the iconic panel from that comic recreated where he salutes Hawkeye. <laughs> that would be good. It'd be very funny. They made a dog salute Jeremy Renner. So, like again, that's another example. Of, like, so they didn't do the exact way that they get the dog in the comics, but they got the dog, didn't they? So yeah, in the end, it ended with them getting a dog. So yeah. How much can you really complain? Even like, you know, Kate Bishop's introduction there is sort of a version of her first appearance in the comics where like armed, like, I don't even remember this scenario. They're like, they're like criminals who are doing a, a crossed situation or something. I don't remember. In the Young Avengers comic at her sister's wedding, which is wedding is like barging in by these armed criminals. And then she like has like a bit of a moment. The Young Avengers ultimately come in and like do most of the heavy lifting, but she's there and she's like helping out throwing plates at him or something. Probably. I don't know. So even that's kind of a version of that, right? There's a, insofar as like it's an upscale kind of party that is crashed by uh, thugs, so that's fun. Oh yeah, uh, like I said, this is a lot of stuff. It's like it's a lot of kind of big picture, kind of you know broad stroke stuff being carried over from the comics, and that's always nice to see. Yeah, you don't need to do the specifics, but kind of just having the, the theme there for people who have yeah. read the comics and can still enjoy it. And I mean, I mean, not that we wouldn't enjoy it, but enjoy it to e- even greater extent. So, as it were. in that vein, what do you think of, this This obviously, our first introduction to Kate Bishop in the MCU, what do you think of her, the character? I like her. She's uh, she's fun. She's interesting. She's kind of funny. A lot of her depth, but you know, I, think, I think it's kind of how it is for a character who's just joining the MCU. It's kind of like a trend. They don't really know what they're getting into and just kind of stumbling into it as they go. Yeah. Well, so that's actually kind of a thing, though, as I mentioned, as we're watching it there. She's, I would say she's quite a bit different than she is in comics. Kate Bishop, I would say, in the comics is a lot more, I don't know, maybe arrogance a little, maybe too strong of a word, but it's kind of what she is, right? Headstrong? She's got quite an ego. Yeah, she's pretty headstrong. She's got a pretty high opinion of herself, like the whole I'm the greatest archer in the world thing. Like that's, you know, that's a thing from the comics, and she's a little less humble about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about this. Part of that is circumstances, right? Um, when Kate Bishop is introduced in the comics, Hawkeye is dead, or presumed dead, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so she literally just becomes Hawkeye. Because she's like a bow and arrow person, and Hawkeye is not around. So. Captain America goes, "You got all this stuff. He's dead. You're real good at this. Like, I what else would she call herself? Is, yeah. is she's not 
she's not like Haw- a Hawkeye's sidekick in the traditional sense, right? Mm-hmm. I guess Marvel characters in general rarely have sidekicks, at least like since like the Silver Age. <laughs> I can't think of any Marvel superheroes there's besides like Rick, Bucky. There's like Rick Jones. Oh yeah, he's kind of a sidekick. He was like everyone's sidekick. He would like jump around. He was really? Captain America's sidekick for a while. He was like Hulk's sidekick. Yeah. So what are you just taking internships with different superheroes? Kinda. I know he dies a lot. He's going to like the green door stuff with the Hulk. It's he, a lot. He becomes a bomb for a little bit. He does become a bomb. Yeah, from there that. Um, but yeah, really, like, there's a lot more of uh, I guess there's a lot more partnerships in Marvel, right? Like people m- much more on equal footing, right? Right. Not yeah, not like Batman and Robin. It's more, you know, Captain America and the Falcon, right? Iron Man and War Machine and Hawkeye and Kate Bishop. Is that's ultimately what their relationship evolves into. But like I said, right. she comes in a time where Hawkeye's not around. So like I guess it kind of makes sense from that perspective of they needed to do something different in this show because in the comics, she can be that arrogant kind of like just more, uh, I guess, more confident about because you need that, right? She can't be looking to Hawkeye for guidance in the comic because there is no Hawkeye. He's, uh, he's dead. She's kind of on her own. So she has to kind of be more of that like self-sufficient kind of character, whereas in obviously in the MCU here, Hawkeye is around. So you can make her more of that like, you know, not as sure yet, like kind of learn the ropes sort of character which i think is i think it works fine yeah they do reference that in the show when he's like all right hopefully we won't see each other again she's like well you didn't teach him anything she definitely like wants to learn from mm-hmm. him like be a hero which is good it really sets up the avengers quite nicely and i think ultimately it makes it, it's a more likable sort of character in the oh, audience right definitely agree if she was arguing the whole time with hawkeye and like acting like she knew better you know pretending to she she already knew everything going in kind of thing. That would not be very endearing to us as the audience because we know and like Hawkeye already. So yeah, we know Hawkeye's better. Yeah. I just think that. Ultimately, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think it kind of makes sense that she's a little more reluctant. And she's also, again, it, it, it like adds a lot of, uh, I guess it adds more like brevity and stuff to her character. Because oh, she's very, I think she's very funny. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. Yeah. That's something to talk about. The, the show in general is quite amusing. Oh, yeah. I would say. It's probably, it's very funny. And like in that way, it, it that also I think is kind of maintained from the comic because that Hawkeye run I think is funny. Oh yeah, I think there's a lot of good humor in it. What's from Hawkeye getting the shit kicked out of him? Yep. But sort of um like some of the tracksuit mafia kind of stuff. I don't want to say it's like literally verbatim taken, but it's this dialogue is it's very much how they are written in the comic. Yeah. Which is funny and like it's for me at least like that that stuff is funny and interesting in the comic, but like hearing it performed and like actually done out by actors, really funny. Oh, like, yeah. it's a very when they're just saying bro to each other all the time, yeah, and like just being stupid, yeah. Oh, we, we so we talked about um the thing with her her mom and the boyfriend there when we first saw that like literally the first you know couple minutes there I was like oh okay I feel like this is gonna be like a learning this is gonna be like her arc throughout this is that she has to kind of she's gonna because I feel like this is a trope that gets repeated in sort of like maybe young adult sort of media before is like this idea of like oh I don't like this guy and you know he's probably this or that and like he's probably bad and like. It's kind of a growth moment for the character to come to the realization that, like, no, they are just a normal person. And I just got to give her my own stuff. But no, he actually is <laughs> an evil guy. He actually is just a villain. Buys swords from secret auctions under wine cellars and shit. And maybe killed his uncle. Guy. But then again, maybe it'll come back, like, all the way around, right? And, like, he will just, it will be one of those things where it's, like, a uh, big misunderstanding. And he'll have, a, like, no, I was just doing it because of this and this. Yeah, I just want to buy swords so I can have all the swords. I, I didn't know. kill my uncle with a sword. I killed him with a gun. <laughs> don't you see? So, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's, I guess maybe it'd be, 
I kind of went back and forth because I was like, well, this is kind of an interesting way to do it because I feel like the more cliche thing to do is the whole like, you're not good enough for my mom. You are. I knew you were evil all along. But maybe it's more cliche at this point to do the other thing and just be like, just have you that. You subvert that trope? Yeah. So maybe it's yeah. it's hard to tell in this day and age. I feel like a lot of things are trying to subvert that it's like, all right, which is the cliche now? Right. Is it more cliche to do the subversion because now everybody expects you to do something different or is it more cliche to, to do the old thing? Yeah, we've talked about it in regards to like superhero stuff and, and your Supermans and whatnot. It's like, when was the last time we got a movie where just had like a genuine good Superman as opposed to the like 18 different versions of like an edgy, he's not really your mama's Superman. <laughs> he's he's edgy. He, he kills people. He grumbles and mumbles. Whether he, it's whether it's literal Superman in like the Snyder movies, or, or Omni Man, or yeah, Homelander, like or Brightburn, any of those guys. Um, let's talk about some like the uh, upcoming stuff here. So, so, well, okay, at the very end of the second episode, that seems pretty pretty cut dry to be uh, echo. echo. Yes, so that's good. I like that we're getting it relatively early. I mean, I guess I guess episode three is like halfway, so it's not that early. But <laughs> in retrospect, now that I think about it, getting but, two um, episodes in a. No week, I guess it'd be kind of early. Right. So it's good. Should be interesting to see. It seems like she's just kind of in a sort of villainous role, which I think makes sense to what we would have guessed, right? Because we haven't seen her before, it would be weird if her sort of like, I'm getting away from Kingpin arc had already been completed. I mean, I guess it could have made it work, but whatever. I think this makes enough sense. Right, of course. That, that as of right now, at least, and again, we only saw her for a second, so we really don't know. Maybe maybe next episode they'll totally subvert this already. But it seems like she's still working with Kingpin, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes sense, because then she can have the like redemption arc. Of In her own show. Yeah. I think I think she should, her own show, she'll probably like be like an antagonist for most of the the show. And then like in the last like episode or so, she'll be like, maybe I'll be a good guy. And then she kind of goes away and does her own stuff. In this set, show or in hers? In, in this show. Well, yeah, it, I kind it, of it'll agree. set up her arc going into her show. That's kind of the, the thought I had, had this whole time, too. Right. Yeah. Because she has, we know she has her own show coming up. She can't really. Or, I mean, I don't know. Maybe she will leave this as a villain and that will be what the point of her show is. Is to kind of come around. And, like, that's why Daredevil and whatnot will play a bigger role because he's, he's, he's instrumental to her redemption in the comic. Yeah. Because, I mean, it happens in a Daredevil comic, right? Mm. But so, in that vein. Um, I don't know, man. It feels like Kingpin is a strong possibility here. Uh, so strong that I saw pictures of it. Oh, that's right. I forgot you said that. <laughs> I did say that. Kind of ruins the fun a little bit, but... I think so. I mean... I guess we're right. We've been up? saying Kingpin for months and months, I think. I don't know. He's been in that comic since about 2015, so... We definitely mentioned it many times on the show, though, that it, we think Hawkeye's going to be in it, so... You mean Kingpin's going to be in it? That's... Of course. <laughs> yeah, no Hawkeye's going to be in it. it. Hawkeye's in some um, show. But that's... Yeah. It's very cool. Because it, like, it was just kind of... It just kind of made sense. Because there's been all these rumors about Daredevil returning in some capacity for months and literally maybe years at this point because mm-hmm. of delays and nonsense. And then we kind of like put the piece in there like, well, this Hawkeye show is kind of more or less adapting that Hawkeye run. Kingpin is in that Hawkeye run. There's like a double, double whammy there. Oh, you can get them all. One big swoop. So that'd be cool. And I think, yeah, especially after seeing these first two episodes, seeing the kind of vibe of the show and like the uh, the scope and the scale they're going for. I think Kingpin is totally a like a, a decent villain to have as kind of the big bad of this series because it's that kind of it's that kind of scale. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, we got much else to say about it. And just see if Yolana has a big role because I know she is set up in Black Widow, right, to do it. And I, I think she's confirmed to yeah, be she, in she, it. At, yeah, for like months and months now. So yeah, so I think I, she was confirmed to be in the show before Hawkeye came. Sorry, 
Jeez. Black Widow. Before Black Widow came out. Mm. And so, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting because it doesn't really seem, feel, yeah, I don't really see how she would come in as, as of right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose she could just be kind of like a random, like a just cameo. Essentially unrelated to the actual plot of this. She just kind of happens to show up at the same time to like exact her revenge in Hawkeye and then they have their kerfuffle. Yeah, presumably their fight and then their like makeup where he's like, she's like, oh, you're not actually evil. It's like, duh, I'm, a, I'm an Avenger, man. I, I still maintain I think it would be nice if the show lets us think that, but then when it comes down to it, they don't actually fight and Yolanda's like, no, I knew you weren't. I knew you weren't evil all along. Because I'm smart and like looked into it. Yeah, I did some I research. Believe me, because I think it portrays. I think it's not a super favorable portrayal of her. If that's how that goes, right? Like, if it's just like, well, this lady told me you were bad, and so I'm here to beat you up. I wouldn't like that. Because like, I really liked Joanna in that movie, and I think she's smart enough to just take uh, Madam Hydra at her word there. Yeah, <laughs> but, a lady called literal Madam Hydra. We'll see. But yeah, there's definitely potential there because this show has already kind of definitely set up. The whole, yeah, Natasha dying thing is still fresh in his mind, right? Yeah, yeah. So I could definitely, they could play on that. Yeah, we could talk about, we could kind of mention, I really thought the, um, I thought the musical came in a lot sooner than I thought it would. I remember we talked yeah. about it briefly in our, like, predictions that they would run into it, like, later in the show and, like, a runaway, but, and, like, Hawkeye would be forced on stage for whatever reason. It was like a, oh, you're the Hawkeye villain and yeah. send him out. It'd be kind of funny, but it's funny that they just opened with, like, him watching the show with his kids. Yeah, I think, that's, and I think having, that's kind of it. Having like weird PTSD. Not yeah. Really PTSD, but just PTSD about it. Seeing his friend dance around. Yeah, probably, that's kind of how it feels. We talked about it. I don't know why Ant-Man was there. I don't know why the musical would have Ant-Man in it. No. Ant-Man wasn't there. I, maybe it's good like a nod to like the fact that in the comics, Ant-Man is a founding member of the Avengers. Mm. Still, it's weird. I know Hawkeye, he met, Clint mentions that. He's like, Ant-Man wasn't even there. I was there. He wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't even like a guy yet. So, that's kind of fun. Yeah. Also, I mentioned that like for a Broadway show in New York, their costumes look like garbage. Yeah, they really do. Just wearing like, like t-shirts and, stuff and hoodies. I mean, that's not to say it couldn't be an intentional design, even on Broadway. But still, it's that that is weird. Yeah, the ev- Broadway shows sometimes have like incredible production values. So yeah, that is weird. Probably the answer comes down to like the production of this show. We're like, well, we can either throw together like there's probably like three options it's like we can throw together some like really cheapo yeah just like basic civilian clothes costumes essentially we can literally dress these people all up in the actual costumes that we have or we can go through the trouble of designing and making a set of costumes that are like broadway broadway-esque in that they are they are like the avengers costumes but we make them in such a way to suggest to the audience that these are like not really the actual costumes they're like a broadway tailored-esque costume version of them for stage and they're probably like well that seems like a lot of effort for about 20 seconds of screen time so why don't we just uh why don't we just dress them up in like color coordinated (laughs) t-shirts yeah and just paint the guys doing the hawk face screen so that's probably what it came down to but yeah it didn't look much like a broadway play it looked like a community theater production of the avengers (laughs) (laughs) it'd be very funny now that there's like play about the avengers that they're just they could be just like yeah this year in high school we're doing <laughs> avengers uh, rogers it's weird it, it feels um feels too recent still it feels a bit fresh you like if that was the real world there they'd be like yeah that time that like hundreds of people died probably still a bit too soon to make a musical about yeah that's been 10 years ago <laughs> right ten- and then even that's not even like the worst thing that's happened in 10 years maybe that's why it's like well thanos killed half the people for five years so you know this is kind of a drop in the bucket. And then Evil Robot almost killed everybody by dropping a town in 
Sokovia on us. They're like, man, that battle of New York, that was pretty rough. But then a- half of everyone just disappeared, and we were like, man, it wasn't so bad. It wasn't so bad. I call them people eat, drop on the bucket compared to half of everybody going, pop, and our infrastructure collapsing. So I wonder, see, I wonder if this show will keep, keep talking about, we'll talk about the snap at all anymore. Doesn't feel like it. No, I feel like there'd be too much of a downer. Because WandaVision, I remember, we, actually, no, we never talked about it because our show didn't exist when WandaVision was coming out. Mm-hmm. But we, amongst ourselves, obviously, pre-show, talked about how we liked how WandaVision and Falcon and the Soldier addressed the snap in like a serious way. Besides, instead of like, Noah Home was like, haha, Flash Far Thompson's not 21. What is it? Far from home. Don't ever correct me again. <laughs> we, you do it to me every week when I do yeah. it. That's going to just be a thing. I don't know. Have we ever... I, I don't know if there's a, a single week where we've ever mentioned the names of those movies and we didn't get it wrong at least oh, once. 100%. They put home too many times. It's, it's incredibly there's confusing. too many homes. It's ridiculous. For the longest time, they were calling this newest one Spider-Man Homecoming 3, like before it had a proper name. That's ridiculous. It's Why too much. It it's too Why much. would you call the subtitle something? Why don't you just be Spider-Man 3? But yeah, no, because I thought for the longest time, probably because we took a year between movies, so it was like a year and a half where Far From Home was the last Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. Um... But I, yeah, I had the same thought where I was like, because they just, the only way they address it is like barely not at all. And when they do, it's comical. It's just for the sake of jokes, mostly. Most. And um, I was worried that that was like the first and last time they were going to address it. They're like, all right, we did one movie where we talked about the dumb snap. Now nah, we, we've we we've hung our uh, lampshade on it. Let's not talk about it anymore. And yeah, uh, we'll talk about it again. But yeah, then then WandaVision obviously touched on it. Falcon and the Soldier touched on it as like, Falcon and the Soldier touched on it more in like the the global implications of it right um, yeah obviously like the the way that wandavision talks about it was a little more personal yeah i would say so although i suppose to an extent like sword and its whole thing that was a, that was an after effect of it even obviously wanda's whole thing right because she snapped back into six and after five years but whatever um so I, yeah i don't know i think maybe they really probably are getting to the point where they're towards the end of their mentioning it like even in eternals they it kind of came up again as a plot point but um i, I am glad for the amount we've gotten it but i can't i can't imagine it's going to keep being a, uh, an integral part of no i feel like eventually you kind of have to move on in a yeah sense. and they've kind of done that already for the most so even in the stuff where they do address it like f- for example far from home there it really is kind of glossed over because the world is just normal right we don't see any sort of transitional period we see in avengers endgame it's practically like the post-apocalypse yeah the garbage is piled up everywhere there's just not enough humans to to make use of the world that we had right if you if half of everyone disappears, yeah, the world just can't run the same way, mm-hmm. obviously. And, um, but yeah, when everyone comes back, it just goes right back to normal, it seems. We've talked about this, like, it's it's kind of jokey, and it's like, it's one of those things that you kind of look into it too much, and it's not worth thinking about, really. But it's like, regardless of just everyone disappearing, coming back, think of the, the lives that were, like, ruined or altered or changed by that event like with the one i was the one that always comes to my head because it seems so natural and like it really would probably just happen probably dozens of times over is like your wife or girlfriend or fiance or partner whoever it may be they snap and then you just because it's five years you get into a different relationship you move on and you kind of move on and you bond over the the trauma that is the snap yeah yeah maybe yeah exactly you you find a new boyfriend and his girlfriend is snapped and your boyfriend snaps you get together and you you you, you Comfort each other, and you the- get married. And you have because five years is plenty of time to, to form a relationship, and and get married, and get a house, and have a kid. And then your girlfriend. boyfriend comes back, and he's just like, "What the heck?" And, but he doesn't, he doesn't. He's like, "All right, let's do it." And you're like, "Ooh, I don't know how you address that. I don't know why." Like, we I think you and I have joked before that they should just do like a gay uh, the leftovers esque 
serious HBO style drama <laughs> <laughs> that really has no superhero trappings whatsoever. No, no, but it's just a... set in the MCU, and we all we just all understand that it's set in the MCU. Yeah, every, like, every so often, they're like, like a... "Man, what do you think of Iron Man?" Yeah, <laughs> every so often, there's just a TV thing. They're like, "Oh, it's the, the Eternals is happening today." But it really is just dealing with the terrible emotional horrible implications and like interpersonal fallout of that. I did see something that somebody pointed out that in Shang-Chi, when he goes into his apartment, next to it there's a bunch of signs that are like therapy for like people who are blipped. Oh. They're like, if you, are you struggling because your whole family disappeared? Or you disappeared in time and are back now from magic? Fucking give us a call, my man. We'll figure it out. Man, that would be tough, man. I don't think you could recover. We say it. Like... I like we said, like it's such a massive event, you can't think about it. Because honestly, like it's one of those things, yeah, where they they kind of wrote themselves into a corner. Because on the one hand, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not gonna like, I really don't care that much. But just for the sake of discussion here, it is interesting in the context of Avengers Endgame. It gives a lot of stakes. It gives a lot of like, yeah, it's impactful, but it's too impactful. It really is. Like it is such a massive event that like the the world should be altered irreparably for the rest of time. Yeah, no one, or at least like, or at least decades, decades, or or like fifty years. As long as the MCU will keep trucking, every time that the, but like, then there's kind of too much difference, right? Something like the MCU, which is not a full sci-fi universe, right? It's not a totally different out there fantasy or sci-fi realm. Essentially, it it functions off the idea that you understand it to be our world with a couple tweaks, with tweaks, with superheroes and this and that, but ultimately, it's still the same basic earth that we inhabit now and what the snap did is change that so it really isn't they've like they've added two things like they're superheroes and also this incredible event that changed the fabric of everything and yeah. like everyone's lives but that's whatever we kind of got off course now <laughs> a little bit <laughs> but yeah maybe it will come up i mean it in a way it kind of has already right it, the implication seems to be that like hawkeye or i guess when he was ronin clint like dismantled the criminal underworlds of like Seemingly large parts of the world, right? Like yeah. New York, we know from Endgame that he was in Mexico, Japan, Japan. Like he just was tearing it up on his because he was just on a war path because he didn't have anything to live for anymore. And the implication seems to be that this this big bad guy, Kingpin character, well, <laughs> I guess literal maybe yeah. Kingpin <laughs> of crime character, is now back because of the the blip happening. He's returned, and now he's like trying to reassert dominance, kind of deal. Yeah. So I guess ultimately it does actually kind of tie into the, the plot of it. So. Yeah, I'll get more. Yeah, but I I just I just wonder how they'll do it because I definitely can see them like bringing it up in like Miss Marvel and Moon Knight and She Hulk and like all those other live yeah. action ones. I mean, yeah, they could. But in I don't. But I, I kind of don't see them bringing it up too much in the movies. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. like they kind of already lived them. Like we know right. how this. Like because Doctor Strange can't comment on the blip because he was dead. Yeah, it's, again, I am glad that they touched on a little more than I initially feared. At the same time, though, yeah, at some point, these stories have to stand on their own. Like, it's kind of that complaint a lot of people have about MCU Spider-Man, is that he's too closely connected to Tony Stark, that, like, his villains, his, a lot of the situations, the stuff that's happening to Spider-Man, are not about Spider-Man, they're about Iron Man. And this is kind of that similar thing, if every story in the MCU for the next five years all revolves around the events of Avengers 4. That cheapens it a little, I think. Yeah, I have to agree. But, yeah. Ultimately, we'd really enjoy these two episodes. I think we thought we would, though. Or I thought I would. I mean, I thought I was I would very too. I was going to Marvel. I don't ever... I never go to Marvel thinking I'm not going to like it. Yeah. Well, yeah, true. But, and like, sometimes the... I'm disappointed, like, in the Eternals. <laughs> right. The vibe of this was clear that it was just kind of fun and taking itself as seriously and wasn't getting into too much of the deeper meaning. 
Mm-hmm. That it was just it's, gonna. Be it's just goofy. Christmas. It's just Christmas, man. Mm-hmm. They weren't gonna make a like a crazy sad one at Christmas, were they? No. And can't be sad at Christmas. Sad it's at Christmas. illegal, even though statistically a lot of people get sad around Christmas. <laughs> no. And so I think we knew that it because it, it yeah it's just it's not gonna be a controversial one, is it? No. Well, we I mean, hope not. Marvel's not great at everything, but I think we I think most people would agree that they're good at just doing fun. Yeah. And so you know, yeah, fun we around. Good. So with right. Hawkeye, kind of like goofier one. As we've talked about, Hawkeye's a bit of a. He's, he's probably my, my favorite, like, B-tier kind of guy. Favorite so. D-tier character. D- all right. Like Moon Knight and Go on. Hey, hold Echo on. and Daredevil. On. He is a founding member of the Avengers in the MCU. I'll have you, I'll have you remember. I remember. I saw those movies. All right. Let's act attack like into... A less fun show. Episode, <laughs> yes, a definitively less fun show. Episode four of The Wheel of Time. The Dragon Reborn. Also, spoilers for Hawkeye. And spoilers for Wheel of Time. Yep. Sorry if you didn't listen, to, didn't watch this episode before listening to this episode. Mm-hmm. But you know that's on you. <laughs> so anyway, this episode, I will get off the bat. In the beginning of this episode, I was like, "Wow, I like this a lot more than the other ones. Probably the best one yet." And then at the end, I was like, Ugh. "Really?" Kind of fumbled in the end for me. Got to be honest. Kind of just kind of they do some weird stuff that I don't super love. I I don't know if I can agree with that. I think for me, it holds all the way through. Regardless, there's definitely a couple things, but yeah. I do think this was the best episode yet. Mm. Huh. All right, so let's just go like chronologically here. More so. so the very beginning there, I thought that stuff with Loghain was really good. Yes. I I liked when he's talking about being the dragon and stuff. How he believes that he is. That is stuff that the madness stuff I'm I'm like I'm I don't I'm neutral on. Like I don't think it's bad and I don't really think it's incredible. I just think it's a reasonable way to show madness easily on screen, so I like I felt like they just did what they thought was best and whatever. There's a... Yeah, there's... So, okay. First and foremost, that is not from the books, right? At least not from what we've read up to. We've... Were, uh, have you finished? No, I've not. Alright, so we're, we're both nearly, very nearly done with book five, and that is not a thing we've seen yet, and I can't imagine it will be unless there's, like, some really big, like, flashback. Because it, it... Basically, where we're at is, like, years, maybe, past that event. And we have not seen that yet in the book, so I, I think it's it's totally made for the show, but I, I think that's a... Uh, cool addition you seeing um Loghain in Gil'adan there and seeing him just conquer it yeah and he conquers it in a and not to get into spoilers too too much for like the actual books but like he he does have a very dragony kind of vibe and I think that's interesting the way they're going in this show is that they are they're kind of throwing him as well it seems as potentially another one of the dragons and I guess maybe that's kind of dismantled by the end of this very episode yeah. but it's still an interesting kind of idea because he does have this presence and he does have this thing which is like we know to be kind of essential to the dragon is like people follow him sort of naturally like people he, just gravitate to him. Yeah, he's drawn to them. He's Taviran. He's the great. Yeah. He's the most powerful Taviran. Like all others are dwarfed by him. Um, and I guess yeah. Again, like I said, by the end of this episode, it seems to kind of smell it. But it was interesting at least for that the, the course of this episode to be like maybe this is the guy. And again, yeah. that stuff was just cool. It was just cool seeing another place in this world. Um, another interpretation of like the the people and the mm-hmm. and the dress and the the landscapes and the armor and stuff, the weapons it is all very cool. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting how when he channels that it turns black. Like he'll start to channel and then it will the black will creep up through it. I think that's an interesting way to show the taint. I I agree. So I didn't I didn't mind that. I mean, obviously it's different, but I, one of the things I'm like, well, you gotta like it's hard to visually show because in the books, obviously you get a lot of like we talk about. There's a lot more inner monologues. So whenever like male people channel. I, you know, fucking Roman Rand channels. I guess if you haven't, but if you haven't read the book, sorry, Jack. sorry. 
when he channels, he talks about how like Sidir, Sid, Sidir, Sidar, Sidar. Sidar. I always mix up the names. Sidar is well. He's his is Sidine. Sidine. I, I always I always think Sidine. Uh, he can feel how great it is to channel because everybody because it's basically like a drug to them to like uh, I Sidar. Yeah, and they even kind of touch on this episode. Like if you the, if you've had channeling and then it's taken from you, you just want to. You basically just want to kill yourself. Because life has no meaning. Because you basically experience life even more than you already do. But with the taint, it, like, is a sickness. Like, it's black and, like, a sludge that, like, envelops his body just as much. And I think showing, like, the channeling become black as, like, an afterproduct. Like, because he started, it catches mm-hmm. up. Uh, it's very interesting. I, I agree. I think that's a really cool way to do it. Yeah, because, of, you know, obviously the first couple episodes we established the way that it looks when women channel. And so having this wrinkle it is cool it, it adds like you know for, first of all just a point of difference right to how they look because um otherwise i don't see why it would look look different right yeah um so i think as a way to differentiate it for like even just for us as an audience is and yeah it's cool because it's it is a very visual way to represent that idea of like when you touch uh Sidine, it's like he describes it as being like basically sickly sweet like it's it's really enjoyable for the most part but then it's it's almost too much, and it literally is like a taint that makes you ill. That he wants to like, yeah, it be makes, sick. makes him want to like throw up, but yeah. he can't stop like, using it. Mm-hmm. One thing, another thing, I, I you know, I just keep doing things that I like. I'll do a couple of positives because we were very negative last week. I liked the channel, the taint stuff. I liked all the like lore we got in this episode. Yeah. There was a lot of well placed explanations of things they talk about the green and the blue aja i agree the battle aja um they talk about how women can't see men channel mm-hmm. and men can't see women channel which they kind of go against at the end of this episode yeah but i'll keep going things i like tom does talks a lot about uh the dragon and his own son owen which is a big part of his character and why he helps them at all in the book his nephew his nephew thank you what i say son son yeah i meant nephew hey Kind of like a son. Even like Lan and the the warders, like that's kind of more of an. Uh, again, we talked about this. Like it's kind of hard for us to recognize because we know all this stuff already. When they explain it on the show, it's like, oh yeah, they haven't said that out loud yet. Obviously, we know, but this could be read the freaking books. Yeah. So it is nice to get this like explanation stuff in the context of the show, and like that is the first time that someone has really sat down in the show and explained to you what being a warder means. Yeah. Right? So yeah, all that stuff. I think the exposition was good and useful in this episode, and also like well done in that it wasn't in your face. Just like because obviously, if it's done poorly, exposition can feel like that. Of like, ah, this guy is clearly sitting here explaining a thing to me. As yeah. a viewer, it's not very interesting. They, the, the writer had no other way to convey this. So they need yeah. just a guy who knows it to say it to them. Another thing, and I think that's all the things that I liked. <laughs> Uh, Matt's thing was all right. I didn't mind him with Matt. I also like that the Tinker grandson says Tarvalon, <laughs> so I am proved correct once again. Fate has dubbed me just. Suppose it has. So right, things I didn't like: the land stuff, all the warders, way too chatty, way too friendly. Mm-hmm. We talked about I think last episode, or we talked about off pod that Land makes a lot of jokes in the books. Land hardly speaks. Yeah, which I've begun to recognize. As that's probably very hard to write because yeah. how do you write a character and have them have a relationship with another character if they don't speak and when they do speak in the books it's it's usually very cryptic and like as sh- he speaks as little as he can to commun- to like half communicate the idea he wishes to convey like in the book like the characters like Perrin and Rand and Matt and stuff 
will hear him speak and be like, I don't really know. At the beginning, as time goes on, they like obviously get used to it. But in the thought of the world, they don't sometimes don't understand why he's saying it the way he's saying it or mm-hmm. what he's even saying. So they kind of gotta like yeah, because he's got yeah, he's got like you know colloquialisms and little sayings of his own that they don't understand. Mm-hmm. And he's got yeah, he's got this breadth of knowledge and stuff. Yeah, I I kind of agree. Like I I think for TV that would be hard to adapt him pure as he is on the page of like just he barely ever talks and he's he truly is just like they they always talk in the book about how he's stone faced and his expression he's literally unreadable. almost never changes. One of my funny lines in the book is that they there's like someone says there's like news and people are surprised and Land is noted to have his eyebrows raised and they note that to for a person like him, that is if a man has like gotten up and shouted in yeah. surprise. Like he is so like unfazed by anything that the slightest move in his face is like an extreme emotion. And all the warders are like that. Not maybe not to the same extent, but as other warders are described in the books, not even around land, they are described as like hard and stone faced and like serious and stoic. Like that's just their job mm-hmm. to be that. Like they're the ultimate warriors. Like they're the best of the best. Besides me besides the Aiel, like yeah. they're the strongest fighting force east of the Dragon Wall. If you like, yeah, rally them on together. an individual level, yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I again, I kind of understand why for the show they changed that, and like, it's fine to have them have different personalities. I will say as well, yeah, that's fine. And like, because again, I think even in the books, Lan is like the most serious of them because he has his own stuff going on other than being just a warder, right? His whole past that they kind of get into just a little bit in this episode that also affects how he is. It's not just the fact that he trains as a warder because. Presumably there's some guys who were just normal dudes who went to Transformers and are just a little more well-adjusted. Mm. Lan was kind of crazy before that anyways. Yeah, so. his his whole country kind of got destroyed and he was raised in the blight or on the borderlands. And yeah. It's said that like when, and they'll probably get into this at some point, but like when Marine got to him, he was basically trying to slowly kill himself in an endless war with single-handedly trying to fight back the shadow. I even like, I think, I don't I mean, maybe I read into this, but Seems to imply that there's a couple of the warders in a relationship, right? Well, that's what the Greens. Yeah. I meant with each other. Oh. No, I did not see that. Either the, what, the two were, like, cuddling? I did see that, but I thought that just because they have sex with the same Aes Sedai, and they're like... They're just bros about it? They're just bros about it. You think maybe that's, like, a like no. a three-way kind of thing? Definitely. Because they, bo- they both get up and leave when the green one comes out, yeah. and then he was like, are they gonna... And the other one just kind of looks yeah. at her like... Oh, wink, wink. That's kind of fun. That's interesting. That's never been explicitly said in the book, but I was like, that, that makes sense. I like yeah. that. I like, cool. I like the line of, um, when Marine's talking to the green Aja lady. Well, one of them. There's two of them. And she's like, oh, you could have been a blue with all the secrets that you're doing. She goes, no, I could Just one warder? I could never. <laughs> Which is a fun little line because yeah. that kind of dialogue is good because it explains something to you without like being like, green Aja, do this. Blue Aja, exactly. do that. So I it, will say, in this episode, I maybe I'm just... Uh, reading too much into it or whatever, but the way they talk about blues does not seem totally consistent with how they're portrayed in the book. So in the books, basically, obviously, as, as this episode talks about, every Aja has their own like specific sort of thing. And blues thing in the books is that they have a cause. Is that like they are are inclined to take up a cause and like pursue that for the re- like their whole lives, basically, right? Mm. And so, like, I don't know, this one, they keep saying in this episode that, like, being a blue essentially means you're, like, a spy, like a sneaky, kind of crafty individual, and that, that, I don't know, those don't, like, work out to me. Not that, obviously, like, the thing is, Moraine is that. Yeah, she is the crafty. But that's in pursuit of her cause. 
because yeah, her cause is we talked about this kind of joke about it together. It's just it's weird that she gets that cause because it's revealed in the books that you just choose your cause, like you just mm-hmm. get to pick. And she just picked like, oh, I'm gonna find um the best guy ever. I'm gonna <laughs> right. find the dragon. I'm and gonna find the dragon like, reborn and was save it, the world. Was it just like a big hat they all pulled out of? Like, <laughs> did someone get like tax fraud? Like, oh, I'm gonna go solve tax fraud in Camelin or something. I'm gonna help the poor. I guess I'll help the poor. She's like, I'm gonna go. F- I think I'll pick the best one that'll make me like famous. And they're like, I guess you win, Moraine. But yeah, I feel like that applies more to the white sisters in the books, which or, are or the gray sisters, or even the grays. The grays are like logic, and the whites are nope, politics. Nope. You've switched. Or did them. I? Yeah, the I'm whites sorry. are logic and the grays are politics. So, Grace Pal- also a terrible color to pick for a fucking Aja. Just pick like purple or orange or something. It should be a purple. That's what purple I think would be better than purple. But I don't sick. like brown either. So, yeah, why are they brown? Make them good colors, Robert Jordan. So, like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, that's just a little thing that bothered me. Maybe I'd read too much of that. But to me, I feel like if anyone should be like the the like the crafty sort of tricky ones, you think it'd be the politicians? I would say so. Those crafty politicians, that's right? A little biting political commentary. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just it's just unfortunate because Lan is just cool. Maybe because because we're young dudes and we're like, yeah, this guy's stoic and doesn't talk. He's cool. But I mean, whatever, man. I mean, Maybe I will say. So for my piece here, I actually do enjoy the way that Lan and Nynaeve are sort of getting it on this episode more because. A complaint I have is that in the book that happened, their their development of their sort of relationship happens entirely off screen. Yeah, we see them together, and she talks about how she's like, "What's up with Lan? Like, I can't. Why is he so weird?" The next time they talk to each other, Rand is awake and overhears them confess their love for each other. Essentially, and he's like, yeah. It's like I shouldn't be listening to this. Yeah, it's essentially, and like, and that, that's that's a uh, sort of a side effect of in the book. Nynaeve gets like two chapters. <laughs> That's it for the whole first book. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't get a lot. She gets she gets a lot when as the book goes on. Right. For, yeah, other other books for sure. But I guess that's why. But I do I'd like this that they're actually showing them like talking and why that would happen now how, how that that develops. I I much prefer that. Um, even though this whole episode is kind of like you know very much diverging from the, the, the eye plot of the world of the eye of the world. I think it all works. It it all like keeps you know it's all contained within events that happen in the eye of the world i guess that makes sense like it's just kind of like them being there and the timeline of it all is weird i did not love that at the end of the sort of moraine that 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 section of this this episode they I, they just gentle Loghain because there's not enough of them it's in the books it's this very specific thing of if you want to gentle a man or still a woman um or even if you want to turn a someone who could channel to the dark you need 13 to overpower them completely. Well, like, you need so you need thirteen women to channel to still a man. Actually, do you need thirteen women to still another woman? I don't think you do. I don't. I don't think you need thirteen. No, I don't think so. I think it's just the man. But I think it's to overpower a man. You need thirty. And thirteen is, it's the it's yeah. It's like the small circle. No, it's the biggest circle without adding a guy. Oh, you need a guy correct, to make it correct. bigger. That's what it is. Yeah. So it's the third. It's the biggest circle that a group of channelers comprised either entirely of. Just men or just women can make on their own without adding in, yeah, without adding the in the, the other side of the source. And yeah, for the dark, you need thirteen um, channelers and thirteen merdral. You can take, you can make them switch. You can like forcibly <laughs> make them evil. You can be like you're part of Satan. Now. You're like, damn it, man, I didn't want to be. I guess that's something we should touch on. I this show, it's I guess it's not explicitly said one way or the other, but people seem to have, um, unless I miss something, but people seem to have taken it a certain way and kind of ran with it on the internet I've seen. Um, 
they have not like straight up mentioned Sidar or Sidine as the two halves of the one power. And I don't know, did we mention this last week or did we just talk about it? No, we talked about it off pod. It's interesting and I could I can sort of understand why maybe making this show they didn't want to have that be a big part of it of like half of it is is male used by men and half of it is women used female, female used by women because i guess that does have kind of it has some implications in in 2021 that maybe it didn't have in um 1990 or 1990 or whatever when he started these so i do get that but at the same time it's interesting because this episode also doesn't like deny it right does that make sense yeah i give they definitely lean into it a bit more because specifically they mention the fact that um, the women, like Moraine says, because they have to. One of the big plot points of this episode is in Moraine's and Land and Nenev's plot line is that they have to keep all the Aes Sedai have to take turns um, weaving a shield of spirit around him so he cannot channel. But it's very hard because he's so powerful as like a false dragon. They don't call mm-hmm. him a false. They kind of call him a false dragon. But that's what he is. He's mm-hmm. a, a guy. Who a powerful male can channel. He's not just a male. He's like an exceptionally strong one who could be the dragon, but he's not because he just isn't right for whatever reason. He's not born at the right time. He's doesn't have the proper signs. There's a whole prophecy they haven't brought up yet, but I yeah they assume they will. But they mentioned Moraine specifically says that she wishes she could see him channeling so they could like know what he was going to do because he's constantly fighting back against them and he, but he's not even breaking a sweat like they've been holding him down for, like, days and probably weeks at this point, and he hasn't, like, really been stressed at all about it. Mm-hmm. But then, later in the episode, uh, Naniv has a big channel burst, and uh, Mar- Logan can just see it. And he's like, holy shit, you can channel a lot. Which doesn't make sense, because he shouldn't be able to. The thing about that that I feel like is not clear is, can he see it, or is it more like, well, he can see them all get healed, and he can kind of feel... I- because at some point, even though you can't see the weaves, I know you can, you can feel see it. The, you gotta feel it. You can see the effects, right? Yeah. If I channeled fire and set your bed on fire, you wouldn't be like, "Well, I didn't. What happened? I didn't see it. Wait, I didn't set my kind of context clues. You know what I mean? I see. I I do get what you're saying, but I think the specific line that he uses of like the sun because right. she explodes in a ball of light, and Moraine says that earlier. It makes me think he can see her because I agree. How? Why else would he say that? Also, but again, maybe it's just like it was so powerful kind of deal. He could I, just feel it. Yeah, I can. I can. I guess. I guess I can kind of slip in my disbelief a little bit. I won't get too mad about it. But another thing I didn't like is what leads to that scene. I don't mind Neneve using like an, a moment of intense emotion to like start channeling. That's very in line with what she does in the books. Mm-hmm. Totally fine. Cool that she can start channeling. It's about time. Good that they start her off because she's like. One of the most powerful after like a Gwen. Her and a Gwen and another character, Elaine, who is yet to be introduced, are are just the strongest they, women channelers in like a thousand years or thousands say, of years. They say Nynaeve is the strongest of them. Right, yeah. She's got a, is her own thing that probably will be touched on in next week from what this one shows. But yeah, she, when she channels, she's the most powerful. Yeah, but the other two can just use it more like more effectively than she can. And mm. her, they don't have her like mental blocks because she's like some mental blocks and that's her whole arc. It's an interesting arc, but um, what is dumb is leading up to that moment when that warder with the axes just attacks Loghain and he is breaking through the bonds of spirit and then Loghain puts the taint into his axes, his axes explode mm-hmm. and they just hit everybody in the room. 
Like, they slit Lance throat, a rot, like, the staff is shammed into Moraine, and it's so goofy. They do an overhead shot of Lan just bleeding out on the ground. I'm like, that's so, like, I literally laughed, because it was very dumb. And then she gets healed, so it's fine. But I'm like, why would, why would they, why would any of them let that happen? Like, like, it just makes them seem goofy. It kind of takes away from the warders a little bit, because of the way they're just acting. Like, I feel like they're not quite the same. Like, obviously, we always talk about, and we beat it to death, uh, it's like, well, it's an adaptation. They can't do everything the same. But, like, the warders can't be just, like, a bunch of goofballs who get attacked by, who just attack yeah. the, the, a false dragon. Like, they know what I he mean, is. Yeah, but, like, I, I I don't mind it too much. I mean, the weird, like, his axe explode thing is whatever, but, I don't know, I think it makes sense. As they talk, I think that's why they talk about it in this episode. He has that line where he's like, the relationship between a Aes Sedai and her warder is closer than any other human relationship that exists. Right, because it's magic. So, I think it's understandable he's a little a little bothered. I mean, I guess. I guess a little upset. <laughs> I guess you'd be a little upset if your magically bonded partner yeah. dies. Just fucking gets murdered. Um, I guess, if you yeah. want to be cringe about it. So let's talk about the, the warders, like, fighting and all, the whole, like, battle scene. I said to you, like, it just was kind of nothing. Like, it was relatively interesting, and the action was was done pretty well, and the, the fighting was, like, it looked good and all. And the, yeah. The, the choreography was fine, I guess, but it's just like, just don't care. I it's like, agree. there's no stakes. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't ever worried that they were gonna run them over. Like, that this army was gonna destroy them, and like, but also, these are warders in, in Nice Eye that I just met this week, right? Just don't care. Like, the stakes just aren't there. I don't know. It seems like they were just like, alright, we need to do a we just need to have an action set piece this episode. Let's just have the army, like, roll up and smack them around a bit. Yeah, but even then, like, I agree. It was kind of like, oh. whatever. The other thing is, like, they, they were just using the, the power as a weapon, for sure. Oh, 100%. Just a bunch of weapons. Like, and you said, you said immediately, oh, well, it's, it's probably, like, in defense of their lives, which is, like, the rule. Is that you can... That, use that the one power. I said I, who have sworn on the Rothrod, cannot use the one power as a weapon against men, except in defense of their own lives. And so I suppose that applies here, but it just feel it doesn't feel like the spirit of it as it's presented in the books, where it's not just, you know, I, I you know, I only do it to save my life. It's like you kind of go out of your way to make sure you don't have to, right? Essentially. Right? Yeah. It's not just, well, on a technicality, like they're not walking around itching for a fight, like provoking people so that they can be like, well, you you almost killed me, so I can use my powers. They really, like, go out of their way, seemingly, to not. Like, Moraine will not put herself in any kind of situation where she could. Because you, you could get around that in a lot of ways if you really wanted to. Like, like I joked to you, could you be like, well, I just found myself in the middle of this battlefield, and, and the guy, well, I mean, they would have killed me, so I just well, started I, I just started blasting. <laughs> I walked in, lightning. <laughs> Anyways, I started blasting. <laughs> but I don't see so good, so I missed. <laughs> like, no, you kind of have to go out of, like, it really has to be, like, an absolute last resort. Yes, yeah, be like, you're either going to die... You're just gonna straight up die if you don't do this. But they kind of just do. But I guess that's for the show. Yeah, yeah gotta, use the magic. I guess gotta make people know why they're watching her or something. Um, but yeah, I I uh, used to wrap up that plot line. Yeah, I I'd like the like I said the the uh, naive and in, inland stuff. Them actually building a rapport, so it's kind of believable when they form any kind of relationship. I like I said little, little gain stuff. Like you like you were talking about. I I do like that he's kind of yeah believable as the dragon in that he believes. Fully. That he was the dragon. That is much more interesting. Like you said, in the in the books, it's kind of implied that, like, not even implied, it won't put it outright said that he was convinced of the... He was convinced, but also, like, there is kind of this vibe that maybe he could have been. Like, there was never just one definitive guy who was going to be it. 
I think the way Moraine explains it is that like they're constantly it's constantly weaving it out, whether it needs it at that time or not. Yeah, a, a dragon will always appear. They just, they just kind of keep coming, and like the implication is maybe even that if the one if if uh, the one from the books who actually turns out to be him dies, there might have been another one yet, right? Like it might just keep coming, or like there's there's not one specific sort of thing, and so some of these false dragons under slightly different circumstances may have just in fact been the dragon it's, and like it's always very interesting when they say false dragon i think that's the point in the book like you were just saying is that like they're only considered false dragons up until they do the things like for all intents and purposes i get i don't say his name because you just didn't the guy who becomes it in the books or the person who becomes it in the books he like only do, well, he has to do the things like obviously he's he's like one of the main characters and you know that has to happen but if he wasn't if like from outside looking in, he why would he be any different than any of the other hundred like dozens of false dragons? And they talk right. about in the books. They haven't talked about it in the show, but maybe they will. About how like there are a lot of them. Like a lot of false dragons have been popping up recently because of mm-hmm. like how the green one says they're reaching the end of an age. Like the signs are there. Like the wheel needs a dragon. It and needs it, one, and it's pumping them out like crazy. And something's gonna stick. And it happens to be, you know, the guy one of the people we're following. Yeah. So that's cool, because it also sets him up as, like, some of these false dragons are, I think, the way it's presented in the books. The implication is that some of them maybe can't even channel, I think. They're just kind of capitalizing on, like, the scenario of, they really, they are just selfish, and they just want power and influence, and they're like, I can get a bunch of people to follow me and fear me and and revere me if I claim to be the false dragon, or the dragon reborn, right? But I thought it, it was interesting that Loghain really thought he was the dragon reborn. And could channel. And he can channel. And he thought that he was going to save the world. He wasn't doing it to be like, I'm going to conquer and, and pillage. He was like, no, I got to do that. I, I have to save the world. That's what the Dragon Reborn does. I truly believe that's who I am and that's what I got to do. And I thought yeah. that's that makes him much more interesting as a character. Right. And I think we're going to get some more of that because, I mean, we looked up. His actor is credited for the next three episodes after this one. Four episodes total. Mm. So maybe when they... Uh, I don't know why they'll need him to take the Tarvalon because... They already did the thing they were going to do in Tarvalon anyway. Yeah. So maybe they'll just keep him around just to have him around. I mean, uh, in the books, after they've Gentleton, they still keep him there just for the... Just for the I why. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of because, because they're like, well, you're not actually a threat to us anymore, but we're going to keep you locked up anyways. And we can't give you any knives. You just kill yourself. And Yeah, it's it's pretty grim. Sad. It's like, yeah, you guys don't keep me around because you think I'm going to hurt anybody. You just don't want to hurt myself. You know I would I would probably kill myself if I had the chance. I want that sweet, sweet channel back. Mm, that sweet power. Um But he but Zach and I have a theory that we haven't got that from the book. And if you read the books, please don't spoil us. That he will just get the channel again. Yeah, they'll fix him. They'll fix him somehow. Some the, one of the, there's a either will I mean, either Nynaeve will fix him with her healing ability that she demonstrated, or that another person the the dragon, whoever it, the person who is the dragon will fix him and he will wield a sword or wield a powerful weapon and he'll like, just be like one of the one of the one of the crew one of the crew or i think in my personal opinion i think he'll fight he'll there'll be a big dragon versus false dragon fight to legitimize truly which i think both are possible and i'd be fine with either because i think both can work how about the other plot lines the uh, let's i'm gonna let's before we do oh. the matt Rand plot line which i think had some good stuff i'm gonna talk about the parent and a grand plot line which was the yeah. worst one the only it, good part about that one was that they said tarvalon <laughs> For me. Well, really, they just didn't move much at all. Yeah. Parent, I, you know what's funny is that we said earlier, literally earlier in this episode, how 
Lan is hard to write for because he doesn't talk, and they had to make him talk more. I guess they only decided to do it with one fucking character, because Perrin doesn't fucking talk at all. Yeah. He says, like, ten words, maybe five sentences total, and they're all, like, barely long. Like, there's nothing to it. They're like, well, we spent all our money writing land to be interesting. We can't, what are we supposed to write Perrin to be interesting? Yeah. I don't know. I, I do think this is interesting. I mean, as, as much as we said it didn't move much plot-wise, it is good character stuff, because this is stuff that Perrin is going to be dealing with for just about ever, right? Um, his his plot line throughout the whole series, as far as we can tell so far, deals with um, this idea of like being reluctant to violence and like how it affects him and, and what. And obviously, like in the show, they even kind of deal with it earlier because episode one, they deal with this idea that when he gets into a fight, he just kind of goes berserker. And um, he's also kind of he's pretty closely related, even even in the further books, like the Tuathawan specifically come up again so you know it's good stuff for him character wise they had that whole explanation of like what the way of the leaf is and Perrin has this interesting thing because on the one hand he really doesn't like violence he, he really does kind of abhor it and he does he is kind of scared of what he does in the throes of it sometimes right but at the same time he also does have this disagreement with them ideologically of like you guys are just allowing yourselves to be slaughtered like you cannot turn the other cheek to everything you can't just like turn over and die yeah especially when in the context of this world which is a, a magical like mystical fantasy realm right where there is like definitive evil evil, evil beings who like aren't natural and yeah are made by yeah. satan servants of like literal yeah the dark like this isn't this isn't like the you know real life necessarily where yeah there is kind of everything is sort of gray and is, is there any you know is there really any terrible people is there any just or unjust wars kind of deal really get into like what is violence is that, is it ever the answer the nature of evil and all that right that that's kind of more feasible in a world where you're not like yeah except those trollics those aren't like humans those are like gross monsters, monsters that eat each other and anything that moves that were created to kill us so or those faceless snake men the, yeah the eye the myth the mind the murder murder all the fades yeah. and all that shit so allowing them to kill you does not actually it's not any kind of ideological victory. No, you're just getting murdered for no reason. So yeah, it's it's interesting. It's cool to see that play out. And they keep certain. And they talk about the song. I like to talk about the song. Yep. Um, but anyway, moving on to the final one with Matt and Rand and Tom. That was interesting. I like when Rand talks that guy down. That was a very good uh, this scene where he's like, "Hey, you're holding that bow, not the way you told it. If you're going <laughs> to shoot us, and I would be telling you this if we were lying." And I thought that was fun. That it was just like, "Hey, they tell the truth." Matt's going bananas, just yeah. going crazy. It's appropriate. Uh, appropriate. I like that they, at first I thought he killed that family, but I think that you're supposed to think that. But I definitely mm-hmm. think the Phages did it. Yeah. And you're spo- and then it's supposed to be, they'd be like, Randy be like, did you kill that family? And Matt's mm-hmm. not going to remember because he's like, because classically in this part of the story, the dagger is infecting his mind and he has kind of zones out. Like he just kind of loses time. He just doesn't remember things. It's weird the Phages waited for them to all come in. Yeah. And he was like, I see you. And he's like, what's up? It's me, the Fade. It's sort of. This is this sort of scenario is very much taken from the books, but the specifics of it are a little less uh, cinematic than there in the book, I guess. Yeah, in the book they get struck by lightning. There's like um in this in this instance they're struck by lightning. No, in the book when when they're on the run. Are oh they? no, this is after they lose Tom. They're struck is by that, yeah yeah later. But I'm, I'm saying this exact event is like it happens in a in a in a town in like a public way. It doesn't happen in some farmer's house in the middle of the night after the, all everyone is dead. Also, I don't know the fades not as impressive. 
somehow. I don't know. Like even in the other episodes of this show, they seem to be more imposing. And this one, Tom's just wrestling with it, and I'm kind of just, I was kind of just thought like, well, if the two of them got into it, like if they actually got in there and helped him, they could easily overpower this guy seemingly. Whereas like in the book, I think they're more, they're much more, much more harder to deal with. They're much more difficult to deal with. They're 100. They're slithery and like they're actually like very good fighters and all so well, i guess tom is too so i don't know but like i you know what i mean like if, <laughs> tom's just kind of grappling there with him and it's like if, if you guys just got in there and kind of like poked at him yeah you got one of them got him in a headlock the other <laughs> if you went for the gut you probably take this guy out yeah, whatever easy. i guess we're done with tom for maybe Never. a while he was in for one episode spouted some shit left he doesn't die i guess uh, or maybe we'll get him back next episode but who got who knows God knows they certainly show. haven't been 100% accurate to the show, uh, or the book as of yet, have they? So. No, why would they start in episode 5 of 8? And then the other kind of interesting part of this plot line is that it shows, casts further doubt on who the dragon could be. Uh, because Tom is convinced that it's Matt. Well, I guess he's not, I guess he doesn't know about the whole dragon thing. But he believes that Matt can channel. He's going crazy. And uh, that's kind of interesting, because between us being like, wow, Matt can channel? Maybe he's something, right? And last episode with Brand, bring uh, down that door. Bring on that door. And then in this episode, Moraine saying that Egwene is the strongest, but then um, also maybe like is Loghain in the in the con- you know in the conversation there. And then also obviously Nynaeve's Nynaeve. display, which obviously literally I think is I even think it, it's the clearly kind of meant to imply because Moraine literally has that conversation of like you're strong in all Loghain, but you are you are like a candle against the sun, the sun that will the be dragon. the dragon reborn. And then he's like the sun, and then he's like, oh my god, that, that, well that's the that's kind of like a sun. Which is crazy if spoiler for the dragon. If Rand does channeling, will he be like double sun? He'll be like, whoa, you're like a double sun. You're a sun to a sun. Well, because they say in the books many times that like yeah, Rand is like a mastiff. Nynaeve is great, and she's better than any of the other women on an individual level, but she's also nothing compared to Rand. Yeah, Rand dwarfs everyone, even other men who can channel. Yeah. So, uh, but that's still fun. I like I said, obviously, it's hard to know like what that would be like because we do we have read the books, um, so we do know. And I think even in the book, it's less. I feel like it's a little less vague, honestly. Like there's never any. I guess here's the thing: Rand gets most of the chapters, even in the first book. So. Kind of like well, he's, he's really the main character I'll, for that one. So. Su- you know, it also sucks is that parent has give, has been given nothing to suggest that he's even in the yeah. Running. I was gonna say other than maybe he's the got, wolf thing, he's got no wolf magic. It just doesn't seem on the same level. It's like no. everyone else is like these massively powerful channelers, and then it's like parent has wolves maybe, but it's, it doesn't feel like the dragon no. reborn kind of vibe. Does and it? Matt's I mean, Matt's cursed by like an evil spirit, and he's puking up like weird symbiote goo. Yeah, weird darkness from shale ghoul. Yeah. Had in Fane, Sullivan got into There's a lot of stuff. Anyway, yeah. Um, but so that is interesting. I would, I would be curious to see, like, to talk to somebody who hasn't read, read the, the books. Book. If this really is like kind of up in the air, them along. Yeah, if they're if they're kind of all over the place, or if they have one that they think. And if it's Parent, I'll be like, Did you watch the show? Are you <laughs> watching the show? No, good on Alice Parent. He's great. I mean, not in the show. I hate what they done to my friend, my my boy, my baby, yeah, baby it's not boy. Great. I guess we. Oh, just real quick with the Matt stuff as well. Him going crazy. He had that kind of moment with the. The girl, and that's clearly because he's got those sisters. Yeah. Um, that little girl dies. It's pretty, it's pretty full on. Oh, yeah, they get so much child death. Yeah, we talked about it. In the books, that's like a recurring thing. Because, I mean, it's a pretty, I guess, like, shorthand-wise, it's a pretty easy way to 
to demonstrate. I mean, that's like the most horrific kind of thing, right? Yeah, What's worse than a child dying? Can a little girl just get murdered who yeah. just wanted to be your friend? Yeah, it's pretty. If anything, it's a bit of a crutch. Robert Jordan leads on to be like, you know, you know, this is pretty bad. But you know what would make it worse? If I killed a kid, a kid died. If a like, truck ate a kid whole, a young person died. That was that's pretty bad. They it? died before their time. They had their whole lives ahead of them. But you know, the wheel wills as the wheel weaves. Um, he's, he kills. He regularly kills young people. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, he's really he's a big he's he was big on it. But anyway. Anything else to say about this? No, I think it's good. All right, let's move on. Let's like tag into House of Gucci, the latest Ridley Scott film starring Lady Gaga and Adam Driver. Sounds <sighs> short, Jack. What? Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Al Pacino, Jared Leto in a fat suit. Jared Leto, literally, Jack. I'm not, I'm I'm gonna say Jack. Might be my favorite Jared Leto role ever because he's usually kind of a weirdo. I mean, he's probably still weird, but not Suicide Squad Joker. No, not that one. I mean, I don't. I'm not gonna lie. I don't. I don't despise it as much. As I just don't have as you know really any hate. In my heart at all for that performance, right, whatever. right. Um, but no, it's not my favorite of his. He's also he's good in uh, Requiem for a Dream, I guess. Oh, I didn't know he's in Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, I haven't good. seen that movie. That's probably his. Like, that might be. Well, that's probably his breakout sort of like that might be his most critically acclaimed kind of thing. No, what about Dex, uh, Dallas Buyers Club? Oh, he was in that. Oh, he's really good in that too. Yeah, I heard he was really good in that. Yeah, he's kind of. I don't know. I think sometimes he just takes it too far. So I, I guess it's all about the movie around him. It's one of those things. Like I've heard people talk about this with actors before. Is like you know you can never know. Like you can give your all for a movie, and then like at you know everyone else involved in the movie makes it so it's a bad movie, and then you look like a goober. But you were trying. You were really just doing your job, trying your best. Yeah. So yeah. Dallas Buyers Club, Requiem for a Dream, those are movies that are, like, actually good and, and well-received, and so everyone's like, wow, bravo. But then he, like, he, he goes similar, you know, he brings a similar intensity and in like, you know, for, like, Joker, but they're like, well, that movie's bad, Jared Leto, so you're a moron. You're a moron. <laughs> Why'd you send used condoms and, a pig, and pig's Yeah, he's, he's weird. He's definitely got some, you know, I don't, don't want to downplay too much. He is, he he's is a definitely weirdo. a weirdo. Certified a weirdo. Pretty good in this. Who else? Anyone else Pacino? famous that I can think of? Oh, Jeremy Irons. Oh, yes. He's the father Gucci. And before um, we get into it, Let's do our classic segment, theater oh theatrics, <laughs> which, like, fucking, I guess we're cursed ever since starting the show. I think you mean blessed, Jake. That's true. We have more things to talk because about. Because it gives us content. How could we have this sweet, wonderful sweet segment? Content. Every time we saw a movie together, something fucking weird Or happened. independent. Really. Or independent. Separately. I went to see, yeah, because when I, yeah, because we've seen a lot of movies separately the past couple months, and still, it's not Still, the weirdos find us. I don't, I didn't mention it last week, but when I went to see, uh. No time to die again. Do it in my road. Just took a phone call. <laughs> Straight phone call. Now, it's phone crazy. call is an interesting segue because yeah. a woman just took a phone call during the movie. On speaker, no less. On speaker. She was like in the third row, like way close to the screen in the back corner. It was... And it carried all the way up to us and it in was the very back row. In the furthest row you could be. <laughs> and, pe- and like everyone was like sitting forward trying to figure out who was on the phone. Like, ugh, it was quite terrible. Zach was a valiant soldier and got up and... uh Tattled on her. <laughs> I did. I retrieved an attendant. I really thought you were gonna like be like, "Hey, stop that!" Get a confront. I thought about it for a second. I'm not gonna lie, because when I when I had finally like closed in on because I'm kind of scoping it out, and I closed on who exactly who it was. I almost said, but I was like, you know what? I'm gonna avoid this confrontation and probably more effective if nothing else. Yeah. yeah. Because if I say it, it's probably gonna be like, "Oh, well, you can't tell me what to do." Which, fair enough. Who am I? Mm-hmm. If I just get an employee, they're gonna just be like, "Hey," and then you'll be, and then they'll be, they'll, I think they'll feel more. Uh, I'm good to I'll listen. Stop. So. Yeah. The worst part, I think, in my opinion, <laughs> was that there were like children at this movie. Now, yeah. for, now for context, we saw this. This movie is R-rated. Yeah. We saw this movie at about eight twenty at night on Thanksgiving. Yeah. 
So not really a time maybe, for maybe that's for your, films. your tradition, you know. Hey, that people got you know people got their own things going on holidays. Everyone's got their own, but like yeah, teach their uh, own. But like why the? It's house- a weird movie to take your kids to on Thanksgiving. I agree, and it's not like they were like oh they're like fifteen year olds. No, they literally seem to be like thirteen, twelve at best, thirteen at most. I'd say generously. Family with multiple kids who were all who were probably between the ages of like eight and twelve. Yeah, it was very strange. Yeah, we talked about it with like Eternals. There was like a big group there a big uh, a clan mayhaps yeah who was like talking to each other during the movie um but was that it? was eternals at least this, yeah this was an r-rated uh, ridley scott two, movie two hour 45 minute long uh ridley minutes. scott joint never just rounded up um running a lot but like fucking seven whole minutes um, but yeah and the the amusing part i mean it wasn't that amusing because i was kind of annoyed but oh you were furious every time i thought you went <laughs> grumbled and grumbled but the, the children seem to have to be explaining it to their parents. Like, the dad be all confused. Like, what was that? And then I could literally hear the... Like, at one point, it was it was one of the... Um, it's the part where they're doing the Tom Ford fashion show, and then there's, like, the other designer guy who's there who's like, whoa, man, that's actually pretty good. And he was the guy who was taught... Who, like, made fun of Adam Driver. was like, huh, I'd never work for Gucci. Um, But they cut to that guy, and then I can literally hear the guy be like, what was that? And then the kid has to be like, he met him at a... That's the guy he met at that party, Dad. <laughs> Yeah. It's just like, what is going on? Like, you brought your nine-year-old to the house of Gucci so he could explain it to you because you don't know what's going on, man. You couldn't. Jesus. Would you look up the ending to Hubie Halloween? Like, what does this ending mean? I don't know. Understand? It's truly baffling. Like, really? Like, why? Like, did they not find a sitter? They just have no shame, dude. I don't know why these people. I, like, I would feel so embarrassed about even attempting to take a phone. Like, you'd have to. You'd have to dare me to do it. Like, I wouldn't. I would not do that of my own volition. No. You'd have I, to force me in I'd some have way. To, I'd like whisper. I'd like. I'd cover myself in, like, my I just coat. can't fathom why you wouldn't just get up, you just step out for a moment. Because you can't be on the phone call and also still enjoying the movie, right? At that point, because I guess the idea is, like, well, I don't want to get up and leave, miss the movie. If you're on the phone, you're not watching the movie anyways, bro. Yeah. You're not getting it. You're talking. You're I barely got the dialogue because of this person on their phone. I don't know how they could have gotten the dialogue while being on the, f- actually being the one on the phone. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, let's get into the movie. This movie, if we must, felt like a director's cut that was accidentally <laughs> slipped its way in. Far yeah. too long, way too slow, not very interesting. That's basically the, the the crux of our complaint, right? It's very long and too much so. And you say it's a director's cut, as in like it feels like it not wasn't edited down that much. The thing about it to me is that it's almost I don't I don't know if I can agree with that because it feels like there's a lot that needs to be added, right? It's like this weird mix which is like the great the, duality of man. Yeah, it's, it's probably the worst of both worlds, really. It's like there's scenes in there that don't really feel like they ultimately like really are essential and then there's stuff that is just entirely glossed over, right? Mm-hmm. Like we talk about a really big example and obviously spoilers for House of Gucci, although this is real events, so spoilers for life, spoilers for the history. It's the part where he flees to Switzerland, and he seemingly cannot be in Italy because the authorities are after him. And then, it's never, like, really addressed, but in real life, he was, he basically got away with that. He was acquitted on those, they, like, they fought some kind of legal battle, and he was acquitted on that, and he was allowed to return to Italy, because he was no longer being brought up on those charges. That's never, like, stated, and you just kind of realize at some point, like, wait, he's back in Italy, is that, am I supposed to think anything of that? And it's like, I guess you needed to explain why he was in Italy, because they have this, you know, all this sort of events that happen while they're there. But at the same time, or sorry, you you need to explain why he's in Switzerland so that you can have those events happening in Switzerland. But, and I guess it's kind of like, you know, cinematic to have him flee the the estate on on motorcycle and all. But again, it's like, why, why wouldn't you tell us that? Why wouldn't you show Or like, um, 
there's that ex- protracted scene with like Paulo bringing his dad home from the, the airport there and like all this and they're getting settled in they're doing dishes together and like that's the whole last scene ultimately just so you can have the part where Paulo's like I sold my shares right but then you also have like no one it's never um touched upon that Aldo dies or Paulo ends up in poverty like it's just it's weird what they decided to leave in and cut as far as like the real history of this I think I definitely would have to agree. Uh, it's it's very strange, like you said. Like we have this big long scene of them walking into the house, or they like when they're just playing rugby and wrestling with each other. Yeah. Like just weird stuff that happens. I, I just don't really get. Or them having sex in a trailer. Yeah, that's honestly one. Like I'm not to be that guy. Like I get that I, because that's like a there's sort of like a push and a pull on that one because some pe- a lot of people say that a lot of like sex scenes are useless why why there's so many sex scenes it's just for you know it's just for eye candy or whatever essentially and then there's a lot of people who have valid arguments as to why they're important to f- films usually and they can be of course I don't know that this one really was I mean again maybe maybe I'm just a moron uh, as we always say we I don't I didn't go to film school so no maybe a smarter man than I knows why that's important to the well, story but does someone go to film school really that smart. <laughs> <laughs> Their time and money. That's good. See, Jack, you just, you just win. Because we don't have, we don't go to film school and then we can just pretend we're smarter than them anyways. Well, yeah, we pretend we're smarter than them anyway. We could it's go to film school and pretend we didn't go to film school. Who's going to check? And so, I don't know, maybe someone took some, derived some great meaning from that. But to me, it's like, okay, they like each other. They're in a relationship and they have sex sometimes. Yeah. I feel like it's almost more They're inter- really into it. I don't know. I feel like it's almost more interesting because in the first scene, uh, he leaves his lucrative job, his lucrative position at Gucci and just works at her father's truck company and washing trucks and like doing menial labor and hanging out with like these people who he wouldn't normally be around because of his high class raise, like upbringing. And then they're like, okay, that conveys in a subtle way that he cares about her enough to just, just work hard. Yeah. And then it's like, Okay, now they have sex, so you know they like each other. It's like, yeah, I well, guess you're right. I mean, that yeah. it could have just been kind of subtle, really, Scott. I mean, it doesn't have to be like kitchen over the head, fucking yeah. in office. On a desk. And stuff is interesting. And like, so let's get into this. I we we talked about this after It's like I don't. I, I haven't read that book, right? And obviously, I don't know how accurate that book is considered to be as far as these actual events. I gotta imagine the book. Is this anything? It's like anything that you're deriving off of interviews and and people's experience. Like there is no definitive truth, probably, as to what these people were like and how they acted. And and yeah, obviously, I mean, everything in this movie, so many of the stuff in this movie, are things you couldn't know. You couldn't know they, the things that would have had to happen behind closed doors. But it does seem like. <laughs> Ridley Scott does not have a very high opinion of, uh, of this woman. Of the woman, yeah. Oh, God. I don't care. <laughs> Pete something. Yeah. Right. Paparazzi. Of Lady Gaga's character. <laughs> I can't even think of Adam Driver's character now. They're both too hard. They're hard to tie the names that I don't, it's I like, can't say. It's like Mad to, Mand, Mand to something? Mandavalo? Well, not. But so, she's portrayed pretty negatively the whole way through. Even to, obviously down to like, this movie implies that she saw out a relationship with him because she wanted his money, right? She wanted power. She's constantly using a fortune teller, and yeah, and like trying to manipulate it to her advantage. And I don't know. It's weird because I think that I don't. I I guess I I just don't know one way or the other about these people. Obviously, but you have scenes like like you just described that one with um when he's at their the job there, and he's and he's. Yeah, he's he's comfortable with the guys. He's messing around with these blue collar workers and he's playing, soccer, playing soccer and all. And that scene seems to imply that she's actually like she's attracted to that, right? She's like looking out there and seeing him play and 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 like be yeah relaxed around her, you know, her people, like this job that she has, and like yeah, sees him being down to earth. 
comfortable around people of a lower like social stand than him and that seems to be a thing where it's just like oh this is cool like he actually really does it and like you said it shows that he's a pretty cool guy right like he actually is not this like totally stuck up rich dude like his dad is or whatever and he is he he also is like actually cool with that and that's actually what he's like and then it's like i mean i guess uh, you know maybe that's to show how they change over time but that's like one of the only scenes that seem to imply that she has any actual like genuine care, care for him. him because yeah it's just manipulation all the way through and again like their relationship started because she this movie says that she sought him out to sort of manipulate him for her own means so i don't know it's it, it seems it's pretty one-sided i guess is what i'm saying but then again like we, t- we talked about after we saw it he's um you know adam travis character there starts off as a pretty cool guy but then he himself gets pretty so he also kind of has a shift i mean maybe that's just to show how they change through it I, I really don't know because i think i said to you after as well like in regards to him it's probably f- safe to say that he is not i mean i guess no one's just any kind of one thing right people are yeah. like complex and deep no one's a monolith so it's probably like no one could again i guess no one really knows unless you knew him but i find it hard to believe that he, he despite his upbringing and everything he actually was yeah this super down to earth really chill like normal kind of guy who was this all like father i love her I'm doing it because I love her. I don't. I don't care about the money. I'm going to be a lawyer. And Mamma then, mia! Yeah, and then you compare. I, I don't care if I wash cars. I'll do whatever. It's all about love, Papa. You don't understand. You're you too are, old and bitter. You are sitting with ghosts. My mother is dead. And yeah, and then you compare that to how he's acting by the end. And again, maybe it's a, you know maybe this is like a about how how the descent of man, wealth and power corrupts and, and all that. power corrupts absolutely. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Ultimately, the performances in this were quite good. Yeah, I'd say so. I think Lady Gaga. I haven't. I've never actually seen a uh, Star Is Born. Um, but I saw this. Didn't she's, she win an Oscar for? Star she did. Is Born? Yeah, she's she is quite the actress. I would say. Like this is like a she's doing an accent the whole time. It's a, it's a pretty involved role. It seems like. I don't know. She does pretty good. And uh, I mean, Adam. He's a driver man. He's always great. Fun Italian accent. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty fun. Like you said, I mean, Al Pacino. He's always great. He's good in this. And like I said, uh, obviously up top, uh, one of my favorite uh, Jared Little, Jared Little roles ever. He's pretty good. Jeremy Irons, he's Jeremy Irons. He sounds like Scar a lot in this. <laughs> he does, yeah. Just so we have it on record here, her name is Patrizia, and his name is Maurizio, or something to that effect. That sounds about right. Maurizio, why are you doing this to the family? I don't know. It definitely could have oh, just been mia. shorter. I think definitely much shorter. And like again, shifted around. I don't know. There's just stuff that I guess maybe he wanted to do more. Clearly, he wanted to do more about like. The people, right? It's about the characters than it is about maybe just like a strict telling of the events, right? Because if that, again, if that was the case, there are probably things he would add or, or leave. Ultimately, it's about these two people and like their lives and, and, and yeah, their character and how it changes and, and evolves. So I get why there's some stuff that's added or left out, but it's like, again, the, the amount of stuff that you get to, and then it, the, we talked about this, like the back half, even less than that, like the back like 40 minutes or so seemed to really kind of be on, on sped up. Oh yeah, like they're speed running towards the end. And, like there's a there's a seemingly a part where like a whole decade, like an actual where that decade is just skipped over from the eighties um, up to the nineties. They're just like in nineteen ninety two or something. Yeah, and again, there's not like there's never a scene where it's definitively we know that they got divorced because it it's like it goes from she says she will never get a divorce to please come back, and then okay, they I guess they've been divorced. They've actually been fully divorced. Look, like, there's all these different instances, and it's it's just yeah, I don't know. It's kind of weird. I, it's like we've talked about with other adaptations, but usually adaptations of fiction. This is, I guess, an quote-unquote adaptation of real life. It's like, it almost feels like you're supposed to know this stuff already. Like, yeah. he expects us all to have read that book. That we can fill in the blanks ourselves. But I don't I don't know. Like, 
I think the trial would have been potentially interesting to have to see any of. Oh, except except for the very end when yeah. they just all stand up. She didn't stand up, right? Uh, but I mean, that's an interesting little line. I don't know if that's real, but like that's cool and all. But like, yeah, that that might have been interesting to see some more of. I don't know. They left one of their daughters out. They have a yeah. second daughter together that just is never mentioned. Like stuff like that. It's it's weird. Like so weird again, choice. I guess this isn't strictly being a like obviously you know true story telling of this real life event. As much as it is about these characters as and who they were as humans, I guess. But even still, I don't know. It's too long, man. It really it's is too long. Way too long. It's two hours and thirty yeah, minutes, forty minutes, and it feels every minute of it. Yeah. yeah. A couple points, I was tempted. I was thinking, I was like, if I wasn't seeing this movie for the show, I would have just left. Like, I' not very interesting. You really, man. It's not I've never, I've never left a movie. Have you ever actually left? I've a movie? never actually left a movie, but so it seems to me like you're talking a big game. You got, you got a big mouth. You, you write, well, you write some know. checks that you can't uh, actually cash. Seems like. No, I guess I'll have to do it. No, I reckon you don't. I mean, you pay for that movie. It's not so bad. I mean, I was, I was entertained for the most part, but they definitely dragged it parts. I was kind of just like, I don't know. I was just kind of bored. And then, like, the people talk, like, uh, well, yeah, people that around help. us didn't help. And I was like, kind of trying to be over. And this was never what you want. You never just want something to end just to be done with it and not have to interact with it anymore. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. And it's like, the other thing, we talked about this, again, it's very much just about the people. Because it's not about fashion either. Oh, not, not at all. Not really, right? We don't know anything about fashion, you and I. But it ultimately was irrelevant, wasn't it? Because that's not what this movie was really about. Nope. It's only like, yeah, tangentially about that. That's what it's all around. But they're not, they don't get into that deeply. There's not like too many instances where they're really discussing what it's about and, and like what the like fashion is. And, and what, stuff. yeah, like what Gucci even does. Like they kind of describe it vaguely with these sort of points at some, at a few instances like Gucci's, it's about it's the Vatican of fashion or whatever. And it's like, okay. But like, yeah, if you don't already know what Gucci is about, this, this movie doesn't do, do a good job of, uh, of letting you know, does it? No, not at all. So, I don't know. And again, there's like, there's people that I feel like you're supposed to know. There's like names thrown around. It's like, is Ridley Scott a big fashion fan? Or like, did he, I don't know. Like, they're talking about Versace and, and, uh. Tommy Hill figure, I think. I don't know if you can throw. Tom Ford, though, is like there. And it's like, I didn't realize that's who that's supposed to be until they say his name at one point. It's like, maybe, maybe if you're, maybe other people than us would recognize that when they're like, I got this new kid from Texas. I'm, I, like it feels, that's, that's, that's like an Avengers moment, dude. It's like the MCU or something. We're supposed to be like, oh, from Texas. Oh my gosh, that's gotta be Tom Ford. That's the, gotta be Tom Ford. They're gonna have his own solo movie where he oh designs. <laughs> that's really kind of what incredible. it feels like, right? Like, yeah. But I don't. We don't know who that is. I don't know. I didn't know who that. Is. I mean, I've heard of Tom Ford, but until the moment where they're like, it's Tom I have Ford. never heard of Tom Ford. Well, there you go. You've never even heard of Tom Ford. And again, all these other they're talking about like Armani and Versace and stuff, and I'm like, how does that? How does that correlate? How does that like? At one point, they're like, well, we'll get Versace to work. It's like, but would Versace work for Gucci? Is that a thing that happens? Is that a collab? Is that a is that an off-white? Ex-Kanye collab? Kanye-style collab? Is that, do they cross over? That seems like they'd be competitors, if anything. Crossover of the fashion cinematic universe? Talk about money? Talk about, like, Gucci. He sells his Gucci shares for, like, $150 million. So, oh, that's another big scene that they just skip. He goes from, they're, they're like, will you sell your shares? He's like, I'll never show my shares. Fuck you. And he storms out. He just does. I don't know if you knew that, Jack. That's how that culminates. He just does share, sell his shares. He does it, yeah, because yeah. the lawyer guy takes uh, full control of the company. But, like, they don't show that because he's still working there, like, when he's shot. It's, it, I don't know, man. It's it's very odd. I don't... I, yeah. Yeah, there's too much shit left out, like, to tell a cohesive story. It's very weird. And again, 
What's crazy to say for a movie that is two hours and forty something minutes long? No, I would. Who would ever thought you'd make that movie this long? I don't think. I don't think it need to be. It could probably be two hours flat or two fifteen at yeah. very, very much. For real. Um, definitely Ridley Scott's worst movie this year. Maybe the worst movie of his I've ever watched. I thought it's again, it's not terribly done or anything, but it's just not super enjoyable. Yeah, you gotta be honest. It, it's not. It really isn't terrible. It's not like guide your guide your eyes out. Awful, but it's not enjoyable. Would not recommend. Nah. Going if you want to see Adam Driver in a in a Ridley Scott joint, watch the last Go duel. The last duel. That made no money. <laughs> People need to see it so desperately. But as Ridley Scott says, millennials only learn stuff from their phones. That's true. He he's probably onto something. It's probably is the millennials' fault for not enjoying his movie. Not his fault for not making an interesting movie. As if millennials aren't like us, you know, like a fraction of the popular. Like as if most of our uh, country isn't dominated by boomers yeah, who are his age and uh, by his own logic should be well about his his silly movie. No, yeah. I'm just <laughs> we liked it, but again, also it's like uh, at least Scott, you made a movie that would that the the themes and stuff you're kind of tackling are probably more targeted towards millennials than they are to boomers oh yeah who are you ta- like who are you who do you th- if you don't think that you're targeting towards millennials and, and younger people with this one who do you think you're targeting yeah what do you what, what really scott what do you think you're doing here yeah like you put lady gaga in your movie man like, you know that's gonna put like younger butts in seats yeah guys a relatively young pop recent pop star good on him though he's been funny in the interviews so more power to him i guess yeah gotta be yeah he's another one of those directors who hates marvel movies so yeah they did they did drag that out of him it's like at this point though i feel like they're doing it on purpose 100 percent there so i can't blame him too much I, at this point i don't care whatever think what you want really scott um what did he say specifically what was his exact the screenplays are super fucking boring oh, is that what he said yeah it's oh. like i'd never do it the screenplays are so fucking boring let those exact words oh, yeah. oh wow okay that's a pretty great that's he like because we've talked about there's kind of been levels to some of these people some of them are just like oh they're fine like I think Coppola's the one who got real uppity about it and, and real real high on his horse of like, oh, they have nothing to say about the human condition. And it's like, I don't know, they kind of do if you actually like think about it. I mean, there is like a lot of like goofy action between it, but they're saying something. Yeah, that's they're they're not just like nothing. It's not like a Transformers yeah. movie. And and like Scorsese's the one who was like, it was popcorn or whatever. And like that one you can't even really, I don't think that one's that terrible of a comment. It's, it's whatever, bro. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> boring is weird. I don't know. Most of them, if anything, most people, like, I feel like big detractors of Marvel stuff say it's it's like too frenetic. It's just nonstop, like, just high know, octane action. Just, just in your face CGI. Not like it's boring, but whatever, Ridley Scott. I mean, the thing is, like, the, uh, <laughs> Ridley Scott, like, He's a sci-fi guy, so why is he gonna? How's he gonna be a digger? Like he's a sci-fi fantasy genre kind of dude. He's oh, done yeah. a lot of that. Like he's done a lot of like series, yeah, like your last duels and this, I suppose, and I guess maybe like your Blackhawks down, but did Alien. It's a sci-fi thing. He didn't do it. James Cameron did Aliens. Oh right, he did Prometheus. He did Prometheus. He did he did Alien Covenant. Covenant. So like you're not. I mean, again, I guess those are like sci-fi with big ideas, but still, come on. <laughs> A big old dumb alien running around. You're gonna be like, I can do these alien movies. These are high cinema. These Wait, alien movies that see this weird are, black xenomorph running around. Yeah, these alien movies that people have not liked since Aliens, <laughs> since the second one. The pat, the back, uh, two thirds of these movies are are not well received. But this is hot. This is cinema. I'm saying something. Screw you guys and your boring Marvel movie. Get on your release count. Yeah, he's old. Let him be. I guess. With this guy being old, probably gonna wrap it up here. Uh, as always, thank you so much for listening. You can always find us on Twitter at EcotechJazz, it's J-A-Z, and, and Gmail at EcotechJazz at gmail.com. 
email your questions, comments, and suggestions, and we'll read them on air. Uh, as always, you can listen to us on a Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon slash Audible, and Podbean, and Spotify. And as always, our logo is to my friend of the show, Jeffrey Gonzalez. And as always, we wrote it, we produced it, and we built all the sets. Say goodnight to the people, Zach. Good night. Good night. Godspeed.